World Review Commentary. This is Charlotte Littlefield Brown with George Butler, and we're broadcasting live from the Fourth Floor Museum, the location of the, the former location, or it is still the historical location of the Texas Book Depository, and our guest is Alan Watt. Alan, thank you for continuing on with us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Okay, I have a question for you. Um, you know, I find all this information uh, very sobering, and um, one of my questions is, these, uh, so we know we got approximately 200 CFRs, you know, in the federal system and leadership positions, yeah. setting the agenda, et cetera. Okay, how many of these elitists, I, I, for failure of a better word, um, I'm just going to call them elitists, the people that are aware that there's, you know, population reduction underway and, and all the brainwashing and the, um, uh, the, not just brainwashing, mind control, um, how many do they number, do you think? Is it 5,000? Uh, six thousand. Have you ever sat down and sat down to contemplate physically um, how many of these people, how large it is, including the um, the regular people that they've brought into their their circle? Oh, including them. Well, I'm sure you've got maybe uh, altogether. Let's say that three percent of the world's population own the world. They own it financially. Three percent. So we're going to say three percent. And, 3% uh, of the total five, uh, 6 point whatever billion it is these days? That's right. 3% own the wealth of the planet. And the same 3% that, that they're also taking over the food supply. That's the big Heinz and all these big ones in the agri-food businesses, Archer Daniels, Midlands, Monsanto, all, all these companies, uh, Conagra. They've, they own the food supplies of the world too. You've just seen there the wife of Rothschild is just in a partnership with her, her husband have just taken over the vast tracts of India. They've put the old farmers out of business. They're taking over the land, and they're going to start exporting uh, their own brands of food, which are modified to the world from India. Um, they own the pharmaceutical industries and the banking industries of the planet. Uh, so, and you, and you always find that the same families that own the banks also own pharmaceutical industries. And you can go back to ancient Egypt and find the same thing there. It's the same darn thing, same MO. So 3% roughly own it all. Uh, there's a 3% of the world's population at any one time, they, they figure, um, are aware of what's really happening, but they're, they're powerless to, to do it because they don't have the wealth to push or oppose it. 7% of the population comprise the military, the bureaucrats, the police, and so on, to keep the system in, in operation, to enforce the system. That mean, means that the, the rest of the public are just the, the masses, who are totally conditioned in all ages, who go with whatever flow they're told to go with. And that's why they chose a front called democracy, because they said many years ago that the vast majority of the public will always go and vote the way they want them to do so. That's why they chose this front of democracy. Sure. It would keep the, the uh, people calm also. It sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we're going to give everyone a vote, but we're going to use these electronic machines that we can control the outcome, right? Yeah, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't matter. As, as long as they have the right to groom and present to the public uh, the candidates that, that, that definitely will be selected. Not the outside. It's a big play. It's it's like a Broadway musical or something that's uh, been scripted and being directed, huh? Yeah, that's what yeah, quickly he said. He said that all presidents and prime ministers are picked by the Royal Institute for International Affairs or the Council on Foreign Relations. They're picked in advance of all parties, 
and their advisors too are picked. That's all they have to have. He says for the lesser pop- uh, politicians down beneath them, they are allowed to, to debate within each other for brownie points for their careers as, as long as the ones at the top belong to that uh, royal society, that royal institute for international affairs. So, so the agenda's set anyway. And that's why, and I knew this growing up, I said I saw different parties going in and out and, and conservative and labor and so on. And I saw the same world agendas put out by the United Nations with, with each change of government carry forward with this agenda without a hitch, regardless of who seemed to be in power. It never faltered. Now, why, why hasn't a party ever gone into power and just tossed out all the laws that the last bunch made if they were all wrong? It doesn't all happen. Right. It doesn't happen. Once they join the club of government, big government, they make it bigger, you know. They, they consolidate power on a statist or yeah. a centralist basis, federalist, you know, type of systems. That's and right. And they won't let That's up they, right. they, because yeah. they benefit themselves. And, and it, well, it's just false self, this glorified self that they seem to be feeding, I guess. It's also the, the agenda because Karl Marx wrote about it. The first thing you must do, he said, is to create nationalism. Before you have communism or socialism, you have to create nationalism because that centralizes power in one main place. Then once you have nationalism and you've given the same system across the world, you, you create treaties that bind them uh, towards world government, towards a singular government. So the, 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 the essence was to create centralized government, uh, first of all, but by bringing in nationalism. And that's really what your civil war was all about. It was to bring in centralized government and control. And that's why Karl Marx telegraphed to Lincoln, uh, congratulating him and saving the Union. He said, because it's imperative to have centralized government. That's in your congressional records. Yeah, we were up in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago. We, we went in the Lincoln uh, Memorial, and inside there it says a temple. I believe some of the, isn't that what the uh, inscription on the wall says? Yes, Charlotte. I believe believe they described that that building as a temple. You know. It is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know the one I like. Uh, it's at the Jefferson Memorial. It says something along the lines of, uh, "On the altar of God, I swear my undying hostility to any government that attempt to control the minds of free men." Yes. Well, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. Hey, I'll go for that. You know, yeah. you Charlie has a way the... of getting through the bottom line. You know that, Charlie. Yeah, you should also go around and, and look at the the Masonic rotunda they put up after after Candy was shot, where you, where, where you are there, because you'll see the obelisk there and its reflection in the water. They always have an obelisk with its reflection in the water. The, the, the you know, there's the, the sun and the moon. That's the male, the female. And the little flame coming out the top of the obelisk, although it's in stone, meaning the seed is pure that goes on with the next generation of that lineage. You know. Well, let me ask you this, Alan. How did they let? How did they allow? Um, if they're, I, I don't mean to challenge uh, what we're talking about, but you know, if they are in so much control, how come they couldn't? How did the population get as large as it did? Well, uh, I mean, see, they weren't it, sure. They weren't sure how many wars they'd have to fight. Uh, to, to, to bring about world government, they were keeping incredible statistics during World War One and Two, and then during the Korean War too. And they realised uh, that that um, eventually, around the time of Korea, they didn't need as many troops as always breeding up the next generation of troops. They didn't need as many as they had before, especially since the U.S. had been given authorised by Britain to take over the role of Britain 
and, and pushing for this world government. They would finance it from the U.S. They would supply the troops. They would be policemen of the world. And they wrote about this as, as far back as the 1930s. Uh, and 38 in Sydney, Australia, the big meeting there, they talked about the U.S. being the world's policeman after this coming war with Germany. And, uh, and then after that, it says that the U.S. Will, co- will come forward in strength on a couple of occasions, falter, and then go forward and falter finally back and submerge itself. Then China was to take over from the U.S. as the policeman of the world. Well, wars, wars have been uh, helpful in mobilizing people and what organizing people around a common enemy yes. and so forth. Uh, you know, but but now as far as as being efficient in reducing the population, have they really been able to reduce the population in, in any yes. great? Yeah, absolutely. Way? Well, we have. When you look into the the uh, many of the books from the I got books from 1910 onwards, the tremendous arguments back then because the the British population. Had been, had been not only steady, but actually falling. People in Britain were, were obeying, doing what they're told. And Charles Galton Darwin said in his book, he says, we can convince the people to go after material goods. It means we'll have to give them more money. And they'd really hate you to do that. <laughs> they try to take it all from you. But give them more oh, yeah, money. Yeah, away now, yeah he, he said, if, if, to pay up for a motor car, he says, an automobile, he says, they, they might be willing to forgo a child. And sure enough, the population in Britain had been dropping drastically. Uh, for, for many, many years, so much so that Maggie Thatcher, when she opened the, the floodgates to immigration, mainly from India, uh, her excuse in the, in the papers was, was that there's not enough people being born in Britain to pay off the national debt. So even when you obey and you're very good and you, and you reduce your population, they open the doors and bring it right back up and beyond with foreign immigration. Most of the immigration, most of the, the statistics they're giving you in the U.S. is from immigrants. That's why it seems to go higher. It's from all from immigration. And they know this. And it's the same in the whole Western world. And that's the main reason for immigration. It's partly to fool the public, cram them all into the cities, give you the feeling of overpopulation, while, while you really have uh, less and less children all the time. But also, coupled with this, you have a you have a change. What in in uh, fertility rates? And you're saying yeah. earlier in in the uh, interview that uh, our fertility rates are down uh, substantially. Three quarters, so three quarters sterile. Yeah. So that's going to take care of some of the population. Uh, yeah. To, to by degree there also. Another part of it is, is many, you see the fastest growing industry in the U.S. and Canada and in the Western world is is actually fertility clinics. Because not only the men are dropping with with uh, with this uh, being infertile, uh, women too are coming down with them. Lots of mainly from candida and and different other strains that they're getting um, through uh, from promiscuity. Uh, the fallopian tubes are becoming blocked. Uh, these these particular um, infections travel all the way up to the ovaries, and they cause tremendous problems there. So we have been attacked, uh, and, and that's part of the reason I'm sure they encouraged promiscuity, was to, was to including herpes and all the other things that, that, that came out of nowhere. These, I'm sure these are all man-made diseases. If you want well, to bring about, a nuclear hey, war, yeah. this is a war. Yeah. It's a war to reduce the population. What do you do in a war? You use weaponry. And we know that the easiest thing that they can do, they've written books on it, uh, is to create uh, new types of viruses and bacterium. And then, what do you do? How do you get the public to actually do it? You encourage promiscuity. 
How about AIDS? Is, is that one of the mechanisms also? I have no doubt. I have no doubt at all. I mean, Kissinger, and I think it was 73, declared that the greatest threat to the nation, um, the state of the nation, is, is the greatest threat is overpopulation. And then he allocated millions of dollars towards uh, finding ways to find something which would destroy the immune system of people. Boy, it does that, I guess. I mean, is it is it getting worse and worldwide? Now, you said Africa uh, was one of the countries that was decimated uh, population-wise. Is that still continuing there? Yes, it is. It is, and it's worse in certain areas than others. I think Zaire has an incredible rate of it. And uh, the doc many documentaries have been put out by even the official sources on it. Um, and they're, di they're dying even faster now that we've given them all these drugs. We're all paying now, the US, Canada and Britain, we're paying to give drugs that will not be used here because they're so lethal. So they're, they're dropping even faster with these drugs that we're giving them. We, we had a missionary over here. Yeah. Yeah, we had a missionary over in Malawi. You know, it's a little country there, the Lake Malawi, and the country's name is Malawi. And this was 20, 25 years ago. She stated at our church one, one during one Wednesday evening uh, dinner that at that point, at that time, 25 years ago, Malawi had a 20% AIDS rate of uh, prenatal women. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, it's, I mean, it's terrible. It's I don't know terrible. what they have now. It was, an early, uh, the, it was one the of the earlier is, countries with a high rate of, of AIDS. Yeah. And the problem, too, is uh, when you see any documentaries on it, uh, the youngsters there have been given the Western culture, what they think is Western culture. They wear their hats on backwards. They get all this stuff flown to them by the UN, the baggy pants, and all, transistor radios, iPods, and so on. And, and they make their own booze at night. And that's all they do is, is the copy what they think the West does and, and they're promiscuous and um, it, it's a disaster but I think it's a planned disaster because going back and reading the, the, the writings of uh, the top economists from the days of Thomas Malthus who worked for the Crown of England and who worked for the East India Company and so on and then uh, John Stuart Mill uh, they actually put categories of people that they would have to be annihilated uh, because they would not be able to fit in with the white man's economic structure and if they were to carry along under the Darwinist theories the Darwinist theories that, that, that um, inferior types as they called them that came into a superior culture if the superior culture didn't destroy them they'd be brought down by the inferior so they had categories of people uh, we're, we're talking about the ultimate racism here and they are racist at the top they are eugenicists at the top and they have given lists of people that would have to be eradicated including the American Indians any culture that would not adopt or he, they call them mimic the white man system uh, would have to perish I feel sick to my stomach. Well, so, so we're, we're, we're talking about not only uh, a culture, uh, a, a consolidation of culture, you would say, worldwide, with certain ideas in common. They're, we're dressing the same, it seems like, all over the world now. But you're saying that, that it, it's, there's coming about a, a new culture, a world culture. Is that basically what you're saying? That's exactly it. That's what Brzezinski talked about in his book, uh, the creation of a world culture and now it's been there's books now coming out just now 50 years after the event from the declassified information as always it's about 50 years after the event because the public don't care what happened in the past 
admitting that the CIA and London, England, with MI6 and 5, uh, with branches in all across Europe as well, uh, created the 20th century culture, music, arts, entertainment, and so on. They, they, they financed it. They decided what you'd see, what, what things you would hear about, what you would mimic, uh, etc. They gave us the culture. The culture is not our own. Right. Um, Alan, that brings me to a question. Uh, after the break, perhaps when we come back, maybe you can tell us, how do you think our culture would have evolved? What would a more natural evolution look like? Yeah. And uh, is, it, is, what is, is there any possibility? Hey, Alan, I can't wait for your answer on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back, Alan. Thank you very much. Online and on demand, this is We the People Radio Network. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. I'm George Butler along with... Charlotte Littlefield-Brown. We're, we're broadcasting live from the Texas School Book Depository, and it's, it fronts right on um, Dilly Plaza. We're, we're commemorating the, the memory of our president, our late president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, who was assassinated here out on the street November 22nd, 1963. Um, Alan, welcome back to our program. I'm glad to be here. And I think Charlotte put a question on you, didn't she? Yeah, yeah Alan, you've, you've done a <laughs> tremendous uh, amount of research, and I was wondering, surely you've had some, uh, you've formed some opinions or some thoughts on that matter. Absolutely, uh, and it's not so easy. I mean, it's, it's definitely not so easy. Um, when we go back to realize that people like Bertrand Russell, who was a big player with Tavistock in this whole culture creation business, uh, when he said that we shall create... Uh, a hedonistic, uh, narcissistic society where people will be, will be disassociated from each other. Uh, I have to agree, it has been successful. People live in the little boxes, uh, isolated pretty well um, from each other. We've seen the wars on families and everything else uh, where people are dysfunctional. Families are often dysfunctional, especially when they still watch mainstream uh, entertainment. Uh, it's meant to make you dysfunctional because you will mimic what you see on stage. Um, then they've been very, very successful, and uh, we've never been given the option of to decide what kind of society we would like. The public have never been given this. And as I say, that's one of the reasons that the Royal Institutes that Margaret Thatcher called uh, this, this International Affairs Institutes and the Council on Foreign Relations that Thatcher called herself too. She said this is a parallel government of ex-presidents and prime ministers who are unelected by the people and therefore don't have to, to they can have the power behind the scenes, the real power, but not the appearance of power. Um, that's why they decided that, that uh, uh, they, they had already decided the public could never ever make decisions on their own because they were too divisive. Um, there were too many uh, irreconcilable problems between races, religions, and so on. That this well, that's thing, what they said, right? That's right. I mean, and, and but that's so, not necessarily reality. It's, it's not really, and yet it is too, because they, they intensified the, the, any differences amongst the peoples. They've often been behind the funding the groups that caused racial tensions 
and uh, even gender tensions and all the rest of it. In fact, it did. The CIA ran the feminist movement and funded it from the beginning. Sure. So, but goodness, so, yeah. So it's you have. It's hard to uh, stop out goodness. Yes, it's hard. Uh, and yet, the indoctrination, at least in one generation, is still with them. And people go through what they call routines. They don't really talk from their heart. What they do is they go through the repertoires and routines that's been instilled in them, as full of slogans, etc. And they start arguing before you know it, because because they've been programmed. People have been programmed. To, and, and most and folks, you sort of yeah, yeah, you sort of seed into your own children what you've been subjected to, right? Yes. And not, not knowing how good or bad it might be. So. Well, here's my experience as a mother, um, is that I believe that um, my children were born with an essential goodness and that I, um, I interfered uh, on behalf of my culture um, in a lot of ways, you know, like, for example, don't touch that. It does not belong to you. Um, you know, these things that I that I passed on to them, of course, I'm not all powerful. The media has already uh, stepped in. They were involved in my, the raising of my children from early on. Yeah. I've had a rule at my house, and when I was growing up, my dad said that the television was broke. But, in fact, he cut the... Um, the end off. <laughs> oh, that was wicked. <laughs> Wasn't so that course, bad, Alan? I grew up to be an electrician so that family. I could fix that cord, you know, but I understood the wisdom later. Yeah. And, of course, I've gone years in my household where, uh, in fact, this past year there have been um, no television allowed. Now, Almost I will, un-American to be I, against television. I will That's allow, right. and you're, you're absolutely right, people parent. George has a wonderful little bird that flies back and forth on his website, and it's, or the Secret Truth website, another show. It says, uh, you know, the world's full of parrots. And um, it's true. We don't... Uh, um, are allowed to think for ourselves. It's very cruel that that when people do have that that uh, curiosity within them, that they go on their hunt to find information and to find things, and they 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 end up uh, in quagmire. And yeah. they're definitely not supported. Independent people and independent thinking is absolutely not embraced in our culture right now. Yes, it's not. In fact, again, it's part of the charter of the United Nations uh, that they're against individualism. They're against it uh, because you cannot with, control with the individual. Mm-hmm. With a collective, you can manage a collective more easily. Well, and, and children, uh, going back to the natural state of a human being, um, when they're young, okay, a child will play with any other human being. It doesn't matter. It's not um, really, uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter anything whatsoever. Children will play with other children, period. Yep. And um, there's a, a tendency to share. Um, not always, okay, but there is a tendency to... Um, because you can't have enjoyment at a fall if you're all by yourself. So children will seek other children to cooperate with so that they can have fun. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that they won't share their toys and stuff like that. But this concept, when I was in college, they taught me that economics, what was the meaning of economics? It was the managing of limited resources, or by the balance between limited resources and unlimited wants and desires. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, needs and desires or whatever. Sounds like sustainable yeah, development or growth. The very basement of that yeah. definition, the very basis of that definition, how we define, you know, what society is. Um, frankly, I, that did not sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me today. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I initially have all the right answers and the directions to go, but the language. Um, it's a very tricky thing, and of course we've been controlled by it. But I, I think we could start um, helping other people by the language that we use. And I, Alan, I have to compliment you. You are one of the most well-spoken people. He's a wordsmith, primo. You're a phenomenal communicator, and uh, you're a man of your time. And we greatly appreciate, you know, everything that you're doing. 
to help everybody understand more clearly what's you know happening to us. But well, you know this this language thing, the neuro linguistic programming or something like that. Yeah. I guess words have power, don't they? Oh, tremendous power, and I've known this for thousands of years, and and that's why they they, they put it into holy books. And in the beginning was the word, because the word, once spoken, um, it has tremendous impact on on the recipient, and so. Uh, they knew these sciences again thousands of years ago. Uh, that's why, even in ancient Greece, there was one uh, one language for the common people, and and those professional orators, professional orators, were licensed in ancient Greece and Rome. They had licenses because what they could say and how they could put it over to the public could could literally um, uh, have have wars beginning beginning on the establishment if they decided to do so. So they, they limited the, the ordinary people's vocabulary. It's called linguistic minimalism. And if you notice that even the dictionaries for the last 150 years have been getting thinner and thinner and thinner as they take words out of the dictionaries and you end up with linguistic minimalism where you cannot convey a complete thought to another. You see, that's the purpose of it. And in George Orwell's 1984, he has a scene in there in that book where the Department of of, um, of Words and, and the Dictionary are discussing that very thing. And then one man pipes in, he says, I see, brother, he says, so when there's no more words, there can be no more crime thought. And, which is true, if you can't think, and you don't have the words to express a, a, a thought, uh, you could never be accused of thinking out a crime. That, that's how absurd that we get towards the end. Department of Partial Thoughts, right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, and, and if you notice today, uh, that's what, what's coming along the pike. They're, they're putting in all these systems. They want to test everyone annually, eventually, adults too, uh, and give them a psychological testing to see if you're wrong think, right think, and all the rest of it. That's coming. Um, and we sit back and, and we think we can't believe it's coming, but it actually is coming. Like everything else, it seems so absurd until they introduce it, and then it's, it's just like the inoculations in Maryland. There now is compulsory. You know, you can't believe it, but it's happening. And so, did they uh, call two thousand people into some courtroom the other day? Where was that in Maryland, or where, yeah. where, where was it? I think it was, was in Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. So, so it's coming, and and then you go back all the way to the League of Nations, and that was a mandate of theirs was to ensure that the public would take all the inoculations they decided to give them. Yeah. Can you hold over until 1 o'clock uh, uh, Central sure Time? Sure, Yeah. A couple of more segments, and then we'll finish it up, and we've got some people coming in from COPA. Okay. Hang in there. We're going to be right back, Alan. This is getting better better all the time. Thank you, sir. I'm Ron Paul, and you're listening to We the People Radio Network. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. I'm George Butler, along with... Charlotte Littlefield. We're broadcasting live from the Texas School Book Depository here in Dallas, Texas at 411 M Street. Come on down here and, and, and examine this, this library. They have uh, several good uh, displays and exhibitions. Don't they have one about the assassination, possible different uh, yeah, explanations of the assassination? Yeah, six different um, theories. I see about six different ones. And then also COPA, Coalition on Political Assassinations, is meeting here in Dallas. We're going to be interviewing John Judge uh, at 1 o'clock in about uh, 30 minutes. 
And he's the, one of the organizers of COPA, which stands for Coalition on Political Assassinations. Right now, we've been talking to and talking with and listening to very intensely Alan Watt. Welcome back to our program, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here. The, the this system this 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 system is it, the way I describe it sometimes is that we're we're embedded in a system of electromagnetic radiation that surrounds us, and yeah. and that's a mechanism by which is used to to impregnate or, or convey into us or transmit into us certain ideas. Oh, it absolutely is the best. Uh, I mean, television alone is the best tool ever created, and they simply want to go the next step of of having. Transmission is going directly into your brain, and that's also in the UN treaty on weather warfare because that's one of the effects they could induce if they use a secondary signal on the main carrier signal of the heart facilities. They can actually put thoughts into your head. So what I have, I have an idea I call grand unification of reality, and what it does, it takes all these synergistic inputs and ideas and influences and analyzes those and says, what's really going on here? And really, that's really what you've been doing over your whole lifetime, looking at those different uh, factors. Is that is that true? Uh, that is true. Uh, you have to look at everything that goes into your reality or culture, and you realize, as I say, now that it's even been admitted, that helps an awful lot. Uh, it's admitted to that your culture is created for you. Uh, Plato even talked about it as given by the top down because anything that's grassroots uh, could have unforeseen events, could have ripple events going through the society and those at the top would lose control. So therefore, they knew thousands of years ago that all culture had to be uh, given from the top, authorized by the top and led by the top, all the changes within culture. And as I say, Plato talked about the fashion industry, uh, the music industry, and the drama industry 2,300 years ago, how they were so um, influential in directing the thoughts and the behavior of, of those who viewed and listened and watched. Yeah. So uh, what do you think about the way uh, the entertainers are paraded in front of us? My daughters, I try to explain it to them. I said, well... They're people, and we celebrate them. So we call them celebrities. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And um, and uh, maybe someday, you know, and I celebrate you, you know, and da da da, you know, whatever. Uh, but it's a very uh, interesting phenomenon. There's a lot of speculation about uh, Britney Spears, and you know that she's a mind-controlled victim. Well, people know more about these these entertainers and these stars than they know about what really counts. It seems like. And that's the idea. You see, we, we as, as the as the masses, you see, the masses follow the stars. Just like this again, the over cultic, <laughs> and so they give you stars. Hey, I've been trying to look for a star, but it's overclouded here. <laughs> it's yeah, that's right. <laughs> and sometimes right. you get a fallen star, and but they always get them back up there again. And but uh, that, yeah, we follow the stars, and it's just, it's just a, a tongue-in-cheek uh, way of describing the occult systems that run our world, the Hollywood, the Hollywood. The staff of the holly tree, uh, ancient symbols of the occult, and that's why they called the place Hollywood. And in the 60s, they had a, a, an international meeting in England that went for weeks with the CFR, the Council of Foreign Relations. All the big moguls of media were in it and entertainment, and the ones in Britain for the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And it was in the newspapers at the time, and it, and it said the purpose was to decide which country was to be given the task. To, to, to push a world culture uh, through entertainment primarily on the people of the world and they, they concluded eventually they would give the job primarily to Hollywood 
and and sure enough, Hollywood and the music industry, much music, etc., um, is, is what's drummed in to, to the youngsters, uh, including the, the cartoon uh, industry. They even have cartoon series now coming out in Japan. We'll see here shortly. And it's about uh, youngsters who can't find a woman, and they bond with these cyborg uh, females. Uh, this is all to get us used to the idea of that nothing is normal anymore. Um, when there's no norm- normal, there's nothing to compare normal to, then you'll accept the next step, the next step, the cloned humans, the partially cloned humans, all of that stuff. That's what the whole thing has been about for the last 30 odd years or so. Uh, um, we have nothing to compare normalcy to. It's easy to get you in flux, and then we can bring more and more changes and new types of humans forward very quickly, and we won't really complain so much because we'll be so confused what is normal. Well, they've, they've tried to take away standards, and I guess that's basically what you just said, that standards have gone, gone by the wayside. Yeah. And so it's a social and moral relativist view. Anything goes. There are no standards. There are no set principles. I mean, you, you sort of learn as you go, and it's situation ethics, right? Huh? Mm-hmm. That's right. Just sort of pick up, pick up your feelings. Get in touch with your feelings, right? No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> not with your reason, not with reason or logic, but, you know, sort of feel good. You know, it's a feely good society, sounds like. Yeah, narcissism is it's narcissistic, uh, feel good. Uh, always rationalize whatever you do for your own ego's sake, save your ego. And, and that's actually the definition of a psychopath. <laughs> they have given us a psychopathic culture to follow. In fact, we live in a psychopathic culture worldwide with money where, uh, where there's never enough for most folk. And, um, and we try and emulate those at the top. Once again, the stars at the top that you're given to follow and we, we call it success when you claw, stab, and, and, and cunningly get to the top that you're, you're successful, which means there's an awful lot of people at the bottom that are unsuccessful. So it's about winners and losers. So that's not a natural, humane system. This is a psychopathic system that they gave us a long time ago. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, I think children, um, they want to play together. And, you know, of course, there's all kinds of studies that say that they will eventually, you know, go in competition or whatever. But... Um, have you followed any of Jordan Maxwell's work? He did a piece, and it's view- viewable on uh, Google online. It's the occult world of commerce. I haven't seen that one. No. no. Oh, oh, Alan, I would highly recommend. It's quite a laugh. Um, it's I, you know, as, as well um, knowledgeable as you are, you you might find it actually a little bit of humor and all this sadness. Um, what about? Uh, there's a Irish person that originates uh, from Ireland. His name is uh, Michael Tessarian. He runs with uh, Gordon Maxwell. What do you What do you know about him? Uh, 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 yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say oh, this. he's out there. I mean, he's I'll, out I'll there. I'd this. love to I'll know just, what you I'll think. I'll just say this about these people. Um, they all know each other very well. They all come out with intelligence, which is truth. But then they always tack on the same endings to it, which throws you off into outer space, which okay. is counterintelligence as far as I view it. That's my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh, when people want to find truth, you must be very careful what you let in, because you are the guard of your own mind. And it can be very persuasive, and often they come out too with what seems to be certain information for the first time. Uh, that's what generally grabs people. But they all know each other. Um, 
Um, I can't tell you too much actually about this, but I mean I've had offers to go along with certain things where I'd be heavily financed, guaranteed best-selling books and so on, if I would just go along with the usual conspiracy stuff and and bring in the alien agenda at the end, and I've I've refused it. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So some so what you're saying is that you what you're saying in many in several cases is not what people really want to hear. That people do do people want to hear the truth or not the real truth? Uh, they'll want to hear it, but uh, you you have professional people out there uh, that can that can start off the right way, which I see is intelligence. But then why spin it off into something you could never alter? If, if, this, if this was aliens, for instance, right? Uh, then find me an alien so they can complain and change things, because that will never happen. Which means that you leave the politicians and the social activism alone. What's the point if aliens are doing it, right? Right. And it's the same I thing. If, it, if it's written in the stars, then it's predictive programming. It's fate. There's nothing you can do. What about... Um do you, uh, David Icke, well, of course, <laughs> the person that comes to mind when you say the, the alien thing. So uh, you feel that um, he basically, um, okay, I get it. I don't have to say it out loud, but he basically ended with the alien conclusion. Well, first you grab your audience, you, you get the fans, and then you spin it. That's mm -hmm. why I've seen over the years with different ones. And 20 years ago, a certain one man was set out to start the foundations that they all build on top with his own special interpretations of the Sumerian tablets, which is absolute nonsense. We'll be right back, Alan. We've got to take a short break. We'll end up this hour. Thank you very much. Yeah. Great host. Great topics. Free speech at its best. This is We The People Radio Network. Welcome back to World Review Commentary. This is your host, George Butler, along with... Charlotte Littlefield-Brown. Charlotte, what do you think about the Sixth Floor uh, Museum? Uh, it's here uh, within the Texas School Book Depository Building in Dallas, Texas, at 411 Elm Street. They have quite a, an exhibit here. Right. I can tell you they've added a seventh floor where they showcase all the films from the general public who was, at, um, who was welcoming the president. Um, so they've got... Uh, films coming in all the time. And when I say film, I don't mean like a, a scripted. These are home movies uh, from that time period. And as people pass away, they're in their wills, and a lot of people um, pass them on to the museum for posterity, I guess. Yeah, well, we talked to several people uh, about the Sixth uh, Floor Museum, and originally it maybe had more of a monolithic or one-headed uh, view, but now they're trying to open up their themselves to, uh, to to allow a few more ideas about what really went went on here. On November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three, President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was assassinated right out in front on the street here, right uh, close uh, to the um, Texas School Book Depository, and there's great controversy over how that really went down. Uh, earlier we've been talking with Alan Watt and welcome back to our program Alan Watt. It's a pleasure to be here with you. 
you really uh, you you've been here and really looked at this before in detail, have you not? Yeah. So yeah, you really it's, uh, it's an the symbols thing. mean a lot to you, don't they? The, these different symbols that have been created around here. Yeah. Oh no doubt, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, it, it, yeah, that was picked <clears throat> for a display of, of a sacrifice to the whole planet. That the whole world saw that in television. Sure, Alan. Do you think that they actually uh, this this particular location was um, designed because there's a triangle, you know, uh, you know, like you said, the symbolism, the dragon on the bank, and the the, the location of the pyramid and the arch and these uh, occultic symbology. Yeah. Um, was did okay, but here's where I'm trying to get at is like, was this how deep is this? Was this something like okay, well this is we'll have this set up over here in case we ever ever have to knock someone off. <laughs> we'll just you know we'll do it over here, or or was it just that, that we have so much of these type of structures and it's so persuasive, you know in our you know yeah you, you do culture. have so many uh, in the states. The U.S. has all so many of them. It's just uh, staggering. Yes, it is. And, you know, of course, Washington, D.C., you know, all the symbology there. So so the question I guess I'm asking is do you think that um, they this area was prepared or it just was happens to be that it was so persuasive that, you know, it fit the, the bill for what they needed? Yeah, that particular location definitely fitted the bill. Um, even to do with where the car would slow, uh, where it would speed up, uh, even though they didn't follow instructions. All these drivers are taught when they, anything goes wrong, they, they hit the accelerator. This guy actually slowed down. Um, sure. So, so you know what else, Alan? George identified you, where the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, plus, as I say, you, you're right enough. You have those, those, um, this, this uh, triangle, really, these three, three roads all converging into one. Uh, again, the, the trident you know, of old Neptune. Um, and that place at one time, I believe, was flooded, that area, you know. Well, and, and George noticed, uh, Alan, that as where the president was, the bullets actually hit him was on a slope. It's going down, and um, where the uh, the fence was was actually at a higher angle. So it was quite a clear shot. George estimated about 75 feet. I, I would agree with that. And additionally, the front end of the car was in, on a on a decline. Okay. Yeah. So. It, it was easier, the clearer, I mean, it was like... He well, was the front windshield a, would not present a barrier to any frontal shots. There then. we go. See what I mean? That's right. Yeah. Because the, right. the front of the car was lower than the back, so the front windshield would not present any kind of a problem to anyone shooting from the front at the car. That's what I see. Oh, sure. There's no doubt on that. And plus, whatever hit him had to be high velocity, and, and the Sarkano rifle that, that Oswald supposedly had was a... A, a mail order rifle that had not been altered, and the Sarkano was one of the worst and accurate rifles ever made. Yeah. And the action on it was not that good. It's not Bolt that action, good. heavy, and uh, uh, to get to, to, to put off three rapid shots and never lose your target, and a moving target at that distance is just uh, well. Even the military said it was pretty well impossible. But that's that actual uh, rifle. Well, they've got Bob Gro Groden over here at this. Uh, Meeting here being being held at the uh, at the Lawrence uh, uh, Hotel here in Dallas, and so he's he's an authority on, on photographic evidence. They've got quite a bit of this COPA meeting that's taking place. They have quite a few. The Coalition on Political Assassination is what is happening. It's a regional meeting. It's November twenty second through the twenty fifth here at the Lawrence uh, uh, Hotel in Dallas, Texas, and they've got quite a few speakers. We're going to be interviewing one soon. But um, the the speech that we that we started off we we sort of we sort of uh, 
we 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 cheated a little bit. I know maybe you didn't hear what exactly what we did on that speech. Did you hear the beginning of that or not? Not the very beginning, no. George did a war of the worlds. On yeah, the... we did a war of the worlds, but we were there at the speech. So... We, we, we said, George okay. set it up. He said that you know it's nineteen uh, or it's uh, April twenty seventh. Actually, I, uh, I said I said welcome 23rd. to the to the Waldorf Astoria, and I'm George Butler reporting along with Charlotte Littlefield. Uh, and I named the date, and I said, now, President, we'll sp be speaking here very quickly, very, you know, momentarily. Yeah. We had the presidential hail to the chief and all that, okay? Uh -huh. it, it's, like, it's like a spoof, <laughs> but we, we tried to attract attention in this way, you know? Yes. In other words, that speech is, is like you said on your site that you described that speech, it's so insightful, you know, and, and so people need to really look at that speech, and we were just trying to think of some way that we could maybe introduce that speech to, to people in a little bit different way, you know? Yes, I mean, it is. I mean, you have a president talking about a, a secret society um, uh, that, that really does not believe in democracy because they said democracy is so powerful that uh, democratic countries really cannot go against it. It's so powerful. And, because yes. and in democratic countries, you have certain laws and so on you have to go through to do anything. Whereas these characters don't have to, they can they can just go over to all laws and, and pull off whatever they wish to to pull off, as was demonstrated with Kennedy's killing, and yet this cloak of silence that comes around the whole darn thing, and they even have the apart from the occultic symbology and the dragons on top of the courthouse and so on, and uh, the three unworthy craftsmen, they always have three unworthy craftsmen where, you, where, they, where you're pulling off a big stunt for the great work. And so you have the three uh, tramps there, the vagrants coming off the train. Oh yeah, so, uh, yeah. And the 9/11 deal. And 9/11 deal. The, the, the mainstream media said there were three Jews on top of a building taking uh, photographs. They were lifted. So there's always three. And even Jack the Ripper, he talks about the unworthy, you know, the Jewess. That's what they call it in high masonry. Uh, the, the three unworthy craftsmen. That's what it really means. So you always have the same symbology around these high occultic assassinations. Ella, do you um, do you think that we are are going to have another strike against us? If, if it takes a strike to make you get to your knees and obey the next uh, set of rules, it will happen. Uh, they'll stop at nothing because they have a war on the public, and it's by any means possible. In fact, that was one of the the, the tenets that. That, um, that Cecil Rhodes brought into the Rhodes, the Rhodes uh, Society that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the end justifies the means. So whatever is necessary will be done to make it so. They've got to find this boring. I mean, or not boring, but I mean, what, what do they want? The power, the money, they, they mean, they got it all. And it, it's, they believe that they are the most evolved people on the planet. Uh, and, and they're psychopathic, but they, they don't see themselves as being unnatural. They go by the laws of nature, where they look at the animal world, the food chain, and the high predators at the top of the food chain. So they don't see themselves as psychopathic. They see themselves as the natural inheritors of the earth, with the right to rule the lessers, the profane, they call them, those in the darkness, those who, who can't figure things out, um, the, the inferior junk genes, uh, as they, they, they equip amongst themselves. Plato called them the its, the general population were called its, they were not human. Uh, so, so you have this incredible eugenic sort of form of, of racism, uh, or, or class racism, uh, at, at the top, which they're proud of, 
really believing that they are the inheritors of the world who have always had power, at least within a managed system, going back thousands of years. They've, they've, they've run the royalties. The royalties are all part of it. They've run the managed system and all of its forms done through the ages and its commerce as well and it runs sure. society and so they plan and direct the future the only problem they've had down through the ages is the fact they had to and given massive ongoing indoctrination to keep the people dumb and stupid and it would be much easier I think to simply create new types of humans to be servants and workers that will cost less to feed and, and uh, can do more work and, and so on and cannot think for themselves. That's the object of the new type of human they want to bring in. So instead of transhumanism manifesting in a higher evolved, uh, that can also occur. It can go where they can evolve themselves through transhumanism uh, techniques to a higher level and then devolve the other part of it, the worker part, to a lower level. Yes. Yeah. Alan, gosh, is this it? I wanted to ask you a question about the Bible. So obviously they brought us our our religion, right? Well, yes, there's no doubt. They boast about it at the top. Alan Watt, thank you very much for your interview and your time and most of all your work in this area. You're trying to enlighten the world and try to bring the world out of this delusion, this ignorant state. And, and you've done a really fine job in doing this, and it, you know, you seem tireless in, in all the endeavors that you do and everything else. We thank you so very much, Alan Watt. Thank you, much. It's been a pleasure to be on, and okay. give me a call after you're finished, and I'll tell you a few things that I haven't mentioned. <laughs> okay, sir. I'll certainly do it. Thank okay. you, Alan Watt. Bye there. Bye bye. 